The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Has been at the forefront of Ireland's diplomatic relations for nearly 45 years, served as ambassador in the UK during Brexit and then in the US during the tumultuous years of Donald Trump's presidency. And he's going to uh, talk to us about Trump, but also about Ireland and Gaza and other matters. He's also uh, a man of letters because he's recently published a book called Pilgrim Soul, W.B. Yeats and the Ireland of His Time. Dan Mulhall, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Pat. Now, let's uh, talk about Gaza first yes. and uh, Ireland diplomatic moves uh, I mean are there diplomatic moves on our part Look, you have to be realistic about these things Pat I mean diplomacy is a realistic business and uh, I think Ireland has done as much as it could possibly have done we're in the same position as most countries in the world that we can we can take a position we can use our influence within the European Union we can talk to the Americans we can talk to the Israelis but ultimately, uh, Israel is doing what it um, wants to do. And uh, I think the only country in the world that can probably, you know, change the course of Israeli policy, apart from Israel itself, of course, is the United States. And I imagine that the United States is working very hard behind the scenes to try to engineer some kind of peace prospect, because that will be very yeah. important for Joe Biden in the coming election. Now, some countries are acting unilaterally. I mean, France, I was reading overnight, uh, France and Qatar have organise something that will deliver 45 days worth of medicines that are urgently required by the hostages. Now, how they will ensure they go to the hostages and not to others, I don't know. But that seems to be something that France is doing unilaterally. Is there anything unilaterally that we can do? I I, Look, I'm sure my former colleagues in the Department of Foreign Affairs and our embassies around the world are, are, are working hard to try and come up with initiatives. But, I mean, obviously we can support exercises like that we can you know we can get involved in in and I know we're supporting humanitarian activities uh, in Gaza through the UN so I mean there's a lot we can do but but ultimately we don't have a magic wand that we can wave and, and that's that's maybe sad because what's happening in Gaza is tragic I mean by any standard uh, you know okay what happened on the, on the 7th of October was clearly an appalling outrage and so many innocent uh, people were killed including very young people who were at a peace rally and a concert and so on so you have to have huge sympathy for Israel and for Israelis in that regard. But what's happened over the last three months is really, uh, I think, out of proportion. And I think um, I, I think uh, it's high time, it's, it's well past time that Israel should scale back uh, its operations and try to move forward towards some kind of peace process. I see indications of that uh, happening maybe. And what you mentioned about this uh, deal being done between Israel and Hamas brokered by some of the Arab countries, uh, that's, a, that's a good sign. But I mean, it doesn't, doesn't mean that things are going to change. But one key issue, I think, which we we need to bear in mind is that one of the objectives has to be to avoid a wider regional war. Can you imagine the impact of a wider regional war, including on Europe, where you might have millions of people like you had uh, during the Syrian conflict fleeing uh, the Middle East and looking for refuge in Europe? Can you imagine how that would go down all over the European Union? It would be interesting, too, to see the reaction of people who are marching for Palestinians and then if tens of thousands of Palestinians have to come to Ireland to, to seek refuge and help, uh, what the attitude would be given the current malaise in the country? It's not just in Ireland. I mean, all over Europe, uh, I'm being told that, that you know, um, 
countries are struggling to try to um, um, cope with the, the number of people seeking refuge. I mean, obviously, the numbers coming from Ukraine have been huge and they've affected all over Europe and they've squeezed available resources tightly. And that's one of the reasons why we have these issues in Ireland at the moment, because most of what we had in terms of resources, look after people coming in, have been used up looking after Ukrainians. Diplomatically, do we have to be tippy-toeing around the place because of our reliance on American foreign direct investment here? Is that something no, that the government I, and no, the I, diplomatic I, I, service thinks about? I honestly don't think so. I think in America at the moment, there's clearly a debate going on. And if you read the American media, as I do, you see that there's no longer the quite the same 100% support for Israel's situation. No, still, Americans are, 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 are highly supportive of Israel and the American administration has to reflect that, that, that point of view. But there's certainly more of, a, more of a, a range of views in America at the moment. So I so, don't so think the, that we would Irish be offending view. anybody is not going to uh, upset the Americans unless we start directly asking them or intervening with them to say, you've got to stop this. I mean, obviously, uh, we, we have to calibrate what we say, but the main reason for calibration is that we need to to be effective in what we do. I mean, we can take positions, we can, we, you know, we can, we can speak loudly, but we don't have any capacity uh, to make our loud talk Effective, so I think we're much better off working away in a diplomatic way through the European Union and in dialogue with the various countries involved to try to move things forward to where we need to get to, which is a peace process in the Middle East that points towards a an independent state for the Palestinian people. Now, I mentioned that you were in Washington as our ambassador at the time of Trump, yes. um, and explaining Trump's victory. I mean, you can go back to James Comey, who made a horse's pajamas of the revelations about Hillary Clinton's server and all the rest of it and got it wrong, but his timing was way off. So it meant that probably he was the reason that Hillary Clinton lost the election. Now, she wasn't a great candidate, you might say, but still it was there for the Democrats to win. And then you you get Comey and he got little thanks from Trump for his efforts. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, look, um, Donald Trump is a phenomenon. (laughs) I'm not saying that in a positive way. I'm just stating a fact because any other politician that I can even imagine would have been wrecked, would be stone dead after the things that Trump has been involved in. I mean, you can, there's a litany of things, all the court cases that he's facing, uh, you know, the accusations made against him, uh, his, his behavior when he was president and his behavior since losing the presidency, his, uh, you know, his profile on social media is certainly not uh, one that you would say would be uh, designed to widen his appeal to people of moderate opinion in the United States. But what he seems to be doing is certainly coarsening a political discourse. Now, American politics always rough and tumble. I mean, go back as far as you like, and it was always rough and tumble. But, uh, you know, they would make those pious statements uh, and their utterances when they address their public would tend to be sober and uh, sensible. Trump doesn't care. I mean, he he could be a ringmaster in a circus. He could be an auctioneer at a cattle mart. He's just... I mean, I remember in 2016 when, when Trump was elected, I remember thinking, well... There are guardrails uh, in the yeah. American system. and There will be adults in yeah, the room. He'll never be quite conventional, but he will be more conventional than we expect. He won't be the Donald Trump that campaigned for election. In fact, he just, 
he didn't seem to even recognise there were guardrails. He totally ignored them. And unfortunately, this time round, if he gets elected again uh, at the end of this year, he seems to have plans to transform America in ways that will be very dangerous for American democracy. He has plans to uh, replace a whole swathe of senior civil servants and replace them with total loyalists who are already being handpicked uh, by his people. So that, that's quite a dangerous uh, situation. I mean, the, the people who were there uh, last time around, like John Kelly uh, and so forth, uh, Jim Mathis, uh, Cohen, they won't be there this time. The people who will be with him this time, if he comes into power, will be people of uh, far more loyal um, you know, um, a position and they will simply uh, do whatever Trump wants them to do. So it, it is a, a rather, rather perilous situation. If it was happening in another country, we could just shrug our shoulders and say, well, so what? But whatever happens in America makes a difference all over the world, yeah. including in Ireland because of our relations with the United States. Now, the Supreme Court, and, uh, you know, he had the joy of picking three of his own nominees during his tenure, uh, which gave a balance to conservatives uh, in the court. So it's now a conservative court. Um, that might be the last hope for America, that they will uh, maybe respect the Constitution more than the man who gave them their jobs. Also, one suspects they might be fearful for their jobs because a Trump who's capable of, if you like, destroying the whole order of the American Constitution is capable of interfering with them too. Yeah. Robert Kagan, the, the uh, political columnist, had a piece in the New York Times there uh, about a month ago or so where he said that... Uh, don't think that the, the the remaining guardrails, including the Supreme Court, will necessarily uh, restrain Donald Trump during a second term. I would have some um, um, confidence or some faith uh, that the Supreme Court uh, you know, would not go all the way to simply ignore the Constitution uh, because I think once Supreme Court peop, uh, judges are appointed, they, you know, they're they appointed for life, so they don't have to appeal to uh, you know uh, be popular with the, the wider public. But of course, uh, I mean, I, I remember um, you know, going to a, you know, the home of a Supreme Court justice and there was security around the home, uh, and this was uh, you know, a couple of years ago uh, because um, you know, that's the way it was, and the atmosphere in America is such that uh, people now have to get security on their homes if they take public positions that annoy people who might be violently disposed. Do we have to fear for uh, global peace uh, under a Trump? Because Trump says they won't get involved in foreign wars. Uh, so the, the whole idea would appear apparently be that they won't they withdraw uh, from supplying Israel as copiously as they're currently doing to stop that war. Uh, maybe reduce commitment to NATO or get out of NATO altogether, yeah. uh, thus making a lot of Europe vulnerable to Putin. Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't want to be alarmist about these things, but I do think that uh, Donald Trump's attitude towards international affairs is very transactional. Uh, I will support you if I think it's in my interest to do so. Uh, the old American idea of there was a kind of a foreign policy establishment uh, that had a kind of a certain view of the world and that view of the world has really prevailed since the era of Truman in the 1950s and Donald Trump is not part of that consensus. Now, I don't, uh, I think there still is within the Republican Party, although there has become a very much a Trump party, I still think there is a foreign policy uh, establishment there that may be able to, at least on that front uh, to steer things in a more reasonable direction. But there's certainly a risk across the board. There's a risk to political stability in the United States. There's a risk to its international economic role. And there's a risk to uh, the future of NATO. And even though we're not members of NATO, I think we have to acknowledge that NATO has helped to keep the peace yeah. in Europe. And we have benefited from that peace over the last 70 years. Can Biden win? I think uh, that, I mean, what we have is, is a, 
a, a fervent uh, core of people in the Republican Party who love Donald Trump beyond all uh, measure, right? And then we have a lot of people who detest Donald Trump. And America is always fairly evenly divided. It's 40, 40, 20. And that 20 in the middle will decide uh, the election result in November. Uh, the question is, will that 20 in the middle be more concerned about Biden's age and maybe uh, a negative view of Biden's presidency? Or will they be more fearful of the impact of a Trump presidency? I think there's a fair chance. And I think on a good day, Joe Biden will edge it against uh, Donald Trump. But, you know, you can't. It, this is going to be a, a cliffhanger. And obviously, uh, the result uh, cannot be predicted with any uh, great confidence. But, it, but it's going to be a tough year for everyone who's interested in uh, stability and uh, a democratic future mm-hmm. going forward. Uh, Dan Mulhall, a former Irish ambassador and uh, an author now, Pilgrim Soul, WB8 and the Ireland of His Time is his current work. Uh, Dan, thank you very much for joining us in the studio. You're very welcome. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.